Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for listening to any episode of the podcast. Who has anyone who has downloaded it, has shared it, who has given it to a friend or whatever it may be, or has listened to even one second of the episode. It means a lot when, when people are listening to the podcast. And it means a lot that people are getting hopefully what I what I interpret as a decent information and evidence based information and, and real information. So I know one of the hot topics that I kind of talk about an awful lot with my one to one clients is sleep. So I have also got another sleep episode out with the likes of Tom Coleman. So if you're looking for a really, really heavily orientated kind of sciencey based episode, not a sciencey based episode, but practical episode, uh, I would listen to the episode with Tom Coleman. But today's episode is with the sports sleep coach, Nick Littlehills. So Nick is the author of a book called Sleep. So Nick worked in a kind of mattress sales for a long time and then went into, after a meeting with Sir Alex Ferguson, who was the previous manager, one of the previous managers of, of Man United, uh, he met them and then he worked with Arsenal, he's worked with England, he's worked with Cristiano Ronaldo, he's worked with Real Madrid and he's he, his whole aim on ethos is to provide a simple and achievable technique that allows people to improve their sleep and improve their quality of life. He's been he's coined the kind of the the term the or 90 technique which is has been an approach which is beneficial not only improving and beneficial improving and not only sleep but recovery performance and actual mood itself so in this episode we talk about sleep we talk about kind of like his eight hours of sweet point we talk about that meeting with sir alex ferguson and that glass of wine we talk about how we improved the likes of a couple of the players that he had at united at that stage we also talk about the, the, the different elements and if you're an athlete, some of the techniques that he uses with athletes for who are AMers and PMers and how to adapt to if you've got evening matches or afternoon matches, depending on what type you are. And we talk about the importance of those kind of sleep cycles. So it's 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 a it's a very detailed episode. So you probably need a pen and paper. And I would like the amount of people he's worked with the Formula One, Liverpool, RB Leipzig. Man City, Real Madrid, Nat West, Team Sky, LMA, like Man United, like the the the, the names are endless. That that the, the uh, and I would recommend it's a short book and it's it's really really practical. Little practical tips at the end of it at each chapter. So I, I would recommend to kind of to to read it. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the episode with Nick Littlehills. Nick, how are we, sir? I'm very well indeed. Actually, I'm very well indeed. And you? Thank you very much. I'm really good. Uh, so Nick, I know I have been kind of. I've known of you for quite a long time from doing kind of like workshops that you've held for during the lockdowns. And then I've also read your amazing book sleep as well. Um, okay. And I think uh, it's, it's important to kind of understand when I bring on a guest that they introduce themselves that I've anything I've missed in the little introduction to see where, how you got into this field, what you do on a daily basis. Um, and basically, and we'll go into things from there. Wow. Um, I'll try and keep that short then if I can. <laughs> um, I think sort of, you know, I fell out of teenage years wanting to be a sports person. I fell into what's called a furniture industry, which you would class as being part of that, a sleep industry. I got married early, built a family, um, and I found myself um, as an international sales and marketing director for a big uh, sleeping comfort group uh, which had licensees all over the world that company was called slumberland and basically i was designing and you know sleeping products and but also 
you know, sort of innovating the way uh, the company would operate. I collaborated with a few people within the industry to create the first sleep council in the UK because there wasn't a body representing sleep. Um, I was the chairman of that for quite a while. Um, I suppose I sort of hit a midlife crisis around, you know, early 40s. the big company I was working for, being a director, traveling the world, all I kept hearing was sleep was taken for granted. It's not a performance criteria. There was no definitive approach. We knew how important it was, but it was always this health pillar stuck on the end of the rest. And um, so I, I suppose all the things that I'd done working with clinical professors in sleep and and looking into sleep over those years, I just felt that it was probably a a journey I had done enough and needed to go off and do something else. So I, I sort of handed in my notice, was working at my 12-month con- contract. My UK office was in Oldham, Manchester, in the northwest in UK. So I sat there twiddling my thumbs, uh, waiting to go off and do my next role, which was to set up my own business. Um, a local football club came knocking on the door, wanting you know, a big employer in the area, which I was heading of. Uh, to sponsor their shirts. It was called Oldham Athletic Football Club. Um, So I thought, that's a bit daft, putting a sort of sleeping comfort group name on the front of a shirt. I mean, way back then, you know, in the late 90s, you know, sponsorship on shirts was a different thing, like the world was. Um, But I did it because most of the workforce in the factory were Oldham Athletic supporters. And it made them sort of feel good that their company they worked for was on the front of the shirt. The media thought it was uh, a good old giggle um, because the company was all about sleeping. And uh, so they had all the players falling asleep in the middle of the pitch or in the goals or all sorts of stuff. But so I got invited along to a number of sporting events, football events locally, because I was writing the checkout. Um, I didn't realize at the time that that area was a breeding ground for players for Manchester United. Um, so I ended up going to a, a little event where Alex Ferguson was there uh, and we were having a glass of wine and chatting away. And I suppose the conversation, which is difficult to remember back then, because I think we'd only just got phones, you know. So I think there was just a, a conversation that sort of developed. And uh, the question was, you know, does does Manchester United do anything about recovery uh, in a sense of what are the players doing when they're away from the training ground or playing and the answer was I don't think we do anything so I think if it was any other club with any other manager at that particular time that conversation would have died with that glass of wine right but it was there was a physio in the club called Dave Fever he was having lots of issues with players around injury and things like that um, and became a little bit fascinated by sort of my interpretations of what I'd learned. So whilst they were all sleepers and whilst they their occupation was sports and football, uh, they were sleepers. So it was kind of the little journey started then with Dave about what sort of things could we start to impact on or to see if we could make some changes in that particular area. So I I got asked to do one particular uh, thing with a 
centre half called Gary Pallister with lots of lower back issues. Um, so I sort of went along to his home and had a look, da da da, had a chat. And Dave's problem was he was rehabilitating the player all the time in his time. But then when he went away, he debilitated. So it was like a constant battle. And so it was things like mattresses and pillows, his behavior, his environment, uh, other things around it that I was able to sort of, I don't know, investigate my knowledge to see whether I've always thought this, so why don't we do that? And that developed into more of a conversation with the club. The, the club was dominated by something called the class of 92, uh, lots of English-born players. Um, and I was able to, driven by the club and by the physio and the manager, be able to access players to start having those conversations about things. And that was really where it all started. A lot of those players played for the England national squad. So when uh, it was the World Cup in 98 in Northern France, most people listening to this may not even remember that. But a lot of the players were talking to the coaching staff of the England squad about this guy who comes in and talks to us about, you know, sleep and stuff, you know. Um, so the physio for the England squad at the time was Gary Lewin. He was also the physio for Arsenal Football Club. That coincided with a new manager called Arsene Wenger, who had just joined the club and had a completely different approach to athletes, human performance and football. So I got asked to provide a workshop for the first team squad of Arsenal. And that team was completely different to the Manchester United team. This was a completely multicultural squad, right? From the Thierry Henrys, the Fabregas's, Adi Bayors, you know, Czech Republic, uh, Gail Clichy's French, Thomas Rizicki was Czech. You know, you just got a complete mashup. And that was when I first realized because it's written in the press that these pampered footballers have got a sleep coach and i thought well that's actually me so i'm a sleep coach am i so how do i do that what do i do because there was no benchmarks anywhere you know i couldn't go and knock on door of sportsleepcoaches.org to find out how you do this it was just what are you going to do and how are you going to develop it and to cut that short um Manchester United won a treble. It put a lot of focus on what they were doing. Um, I did some work um, with the England squad in the Euro 2004 Championships, which sort of expanded certain things where we completely took over a hotel and even thought about which hotel room we put a player and which one was not. And that was sort of Sven Goran Eriksson's time. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it really started to culminate around 2008-9 with British Cycling. Um, where they were challenged over a five-year period to put a British rider on the Tour de France podium. And at the same time, there was a team called Team Skyborne. So they had plenty of finance, but they looked for the best people on the planet to try and do that. Um, it was all about something called the aggregation of marginal gains, which is not really trying to, let's copy the equipment, let's copy the nutrition, let's copy this, let's develop things is all of those things have been done. What could make the difference? And that was literally looking at everything we do and see if we can make a little 1% factor improvement, even if it's 
uh, washing our hands properly, which is quite bizarre in recent years about trying to protect people from viruses during a three-week tour. So I was brought in for the sleep aspect. That enabled me to, to bring what I was doing together in a sort of umbrella technique of this is how you do it. Um, that culminated in London 2012, where basically British cycling just smashed more world records. Um, they put the British ride on the Tour de France podium. And everybody started to think about, hang on a minute, this area should be investigated. And you shift it to today. And because we've been putting, taking sleep for granted, not a performance criteria, we've simply shifted over the last couple of decades, paradigm shifts in behavior and technology in 24-7, is that that approach is being put under so much pressure that now sleep and recovery is a big old subject for all sorts of reasons, good and also bad. So we're really interested in trying to find you know, ways that we can cope with the next lot of things that we might do. And it all culminated in a book. I got asked to write it. I didn't really want to, to be honest, um, because I'm non-academic. I'm not unintelligent, but I'm not you know, university trained. I'm not clinical in this area. But everything I'd learned, uh, I put my take on it as well. That makes sense. But how do you apply that to somebody? So really everything I'd done was sort of putting it into a, a more definitive box to help somebody uh, define their approach. And that book came out um, 2016. It's now 17 language. It's still being published. And it's a very simple book. Um, it's not clinical. There's plenty of stuff out there, you know, amazing books about the importance of sleep. There's podcasts. There's all sorts of things at your fingertips that can give you lots of information. The thing that we don't really get is how to apply it and apply it relative to what you're doing in your life and the circumstances around you. And that's what I've been doing in sport for a long, long time. So I'm really excited about the place that we're in. I, I've probably been going bust every month for two decades. I've probably been giving up every month for two decades, wondering why I'm doing this and nobody's really interested. And then something comes along and something comes along. And, you know, now I've never been busier, but I'm far more selected about who I work with um, and really interested in about how we can continue to redefine this process um, because we continue to learn, we continue to make mistakes, we continue to bring things into our lives that are not always uh, positive and can be very counterproductive if we're not careful. So I'm really interested in a lot of, a lot of my clients would like me to come up with a technique where they can get their solid eight hours a night in 20 minutes um, so they can do more stuff and train more often do more stuff, you know, life's too short. But I think it's that balance of um, finding your own particular way to define what recovery means for you within the parameters of what we know has to be in place and being more synchronized with something that we should have learned about at school, we should have passed on by our parents, 
organizations and everybody else we in, in, integrate with should know about it. And yet we're still on those first early baby steps of this massive, massive subject called sleep. I think the great thing about it is, you know, we spend more time chasing, you know, optimizing sleep, you know, 30 odd percent of every day or every period. It's a massive, we don't spend that much time eating. We don't spend that much time drinking or even working or training. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of fascinating why we've never gone into it with any great detail like we do every, every everything else. But um, there you go. There's a story. There's a journey. I'm a, I'm a United fan for my sins at the minute, but I, I'm fascinated with the story of Fergie and Gary Pallister and stuff like that. Cause I, I'm like, I think Euro 96 was the first proper tournament I probably watched, which was in England, yeah. but 98 yeah. is the first one I properly remember. Uh, so like the class of 92 and stuff is like Beckham and Gary Neville and stuff. If anyone isn't listening, um, in relate, they, and in credit to the book, it has practical tips at the end of each chapter that people can apply to some sort of tweak to a routine. So it is a massive help in that regard. And I would say that's what helps it over other books that I've read in relation to sleep. There can be all this sciencey stuff that's thrown at people, but there's practical uses in the, the in your book sleep that can help individuals uh, that are kind of like maybe not that sciencey background, if you know what I mean. So it, it is really, really helpful on that side of things. You mentioned you in the book you mentioned that we t- we kind of like you talk about the fact that we sleep in cycles rather than hours because i think there's a certain number that people kind of strive for all the time can you kind of talk about and elaborate that on that a little bit more yeah it, it always seemed that there was certain factors it was called sunrise midday sunset it's a 24-hour rolling process it's about the sun rolling around our planet, our postcode. It's about our relationship with light, dark, and diminished light. It's These are the key factors that sort of a human being, your brain and bodily functions are looking for in any period to create this rhythm, this recovery rhythm, to enable you to, when you do present yourself to sleep, your brain takes over, right? You're out of control of it now. Your brain takes over and can try and explore the various different stages of sleep at the right times in the right places. Now, that's the challenge. So the thing was, was how do you synchronize that a little bit better in people's minds? So rather than thinking, I've got to get my eight hours every night. And so there's only so many hours left. So I need to go to bed and sleep and wake up the following day. Really what you're doing is sort of, you're not putting any focus on the things that you do from the point of wake, which are key factors to how your brain goes through those first three phases of the day. And then when you present yourself to sleep, is it able to provide you with what you would like? So the only way I could see was to take one or two little things. And if you're in a clinical environment and you're all wired up, maybe people know about that, you've got wires everywhere, and they're tracking brainwave patterns from the frontal lobe of your brain. And what they can see is how the brain moves through these certain stages and brainwave patterns. So they would look at it in a 90-minute cycle. And then they'd look at the next 90-minute cycle. So what you start to look at is five 90-minute cycles is 7.5 hours. So 15 in and 15 out is your eight hours. 
So maybe we can start to use that as a principle. And then you can start to think that the first cycle of your sleep, so you go to sleep at 11 o'clock, and between 11 and 12.30 is your first 90-minute cycle. Now, during that first cycle, the brain is hunting for certain things, right? In the second cycle, 12.30 into 2, it's also hunting for those same things, like deep sleep, REM sleep, in various stages. When it moves into the third cycle, it's still hunting for that stuff, but it's also now being put under pressure because the sun is already waking up your postcode, right? Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, when most people might wake and feel active and can't get back to sleep and worry about it, when actually it's natural. In the fourth and the fifth cycle, they are wake cycles. So you're not going, the brain has stopped looking for these deeper sleep stages. It's now keeping you in light sleep stages, whether to wake and start. And the key thing it wants in the first cycle of your day from the point of wake, it wants an anchor point. It's like sunrise. It wants an anchor point. Now, we don't necessarily plan our lives around sunrise because sometimes that's too early or too late. So what we do is we create our own anchor point for the brain. And that's when you start your day. So my anchor point is 6.30. So the first 90 minutes of my day is into 8 o'clock. So what am I doing in that first sort of 90-minute period? I'm not wandering around with a wristband on, going off every 90 minutes, you know. It's just a nice subconscious approach. What am I doing? Because what I do know is, there's a few little things without getting too clinical on anybody. It's about cortisol and adrenaline. It's about <laughs> adrenal glands. And that that wants a little trigger to start kicking you into action. Now, that that's principally triggered by this anchor point. Right? And as soon as you sort of open your eyes and become active in a sense, then that starts to kick in. One of the things that really helps that is exposure to daylight, not indoor light, not anything else in your home, it's daylight, right? Because inside of that particularly low level at sort of sunrise moving uh, towards midday, that then puts a little trigger into a clock in your brain that tells it to start this process of activity, which is all about getting you to the back end of the day when another process should kick in called producing melatonin, in a little pineal gland. So what we know is light is absolutely fundamental. And within that, there's this blue light, which most people get scared of because it's going to keep you awake with your tech. But it's an amazing trigger for an internal biological clock to an anchor point to your day and how much you're exposed to that throughout your day, whether it is being outside or you're creating it synthetically with lamps and things, is that is one of your key success factors. So what you can do is there's things like chronotypes, there's things like occupations, uh, whether you're a morning person or a nighttime person, whether you've got kids, what your occupation is, there's night shift workers and everything else. But what do you know? It's a 24-hour process. The sunrise and sunset ain't going to change. You're a human being with bodily functions. So how much you can try and synchronize yourself to that rolling 24-7 rather than thinking, how am I going to sleep on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? You're just thinking about, am I doing everything from my anchor point onwards to try and help that process 
give my brain the opportunity so that when I do present myself to sleep, whatever time that is and when it is and how long that's going to be for, it can take over, optimize my recovery, both mentally and physically, and allow me to move on. So it's not a quality and quantity battle. You know, we can't go too far with this and just think I can only get an hour a day. But it is trying to find how your recovery looks in a 24-hour process, not just one block at night. So from the anchor point, if you chop your day up, so mine's 6.30, if you chop your day up, I'm going to wake in the final cycle, my 16th cycle, between 5 and 6.30. I will wake. Right? Might be close to 6.30, might be 6 o'clock, might be 5.30. If it starts being 5 o'clock, then I need to make some adjustments because it's getting a bit early. Right? But I wake in that fifth cycle. I try and start my day around 6.30, so it's a bit of an anchor point. So you chop your day up from an anchor point that makes some sense to you, and you've got 16 timings. You've got 16 90-minute cycles, and that means you've got 16 cycles to think about. And you can just think, what am I going to do in the first cycle of my day that's going to tick some boxes for me and my brain to move into the second cycle, the third cycle, into the eighth, into the ninth, into the eleventh, and then I'm going to present myself to sleep. What little things can I be doing that helps that process along and take the complete focus off what's going to happen when I go to my nocturnal cycles at night? And it suddenly creates a different sort of conversation. You know, sleep it's just a perceived thing, you know, you mentioned sleep to anybody and it's just, yeah, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, you know, try to get my eight hours, you know, it's like, it's like <laughs> mad. But suddenly you start going, right. So five cycles a day, some point five hours, 15, 15, eight, okay. that's cool. So that's five cycles a day in any 24 hours. Yeah. So that's five a day. Yeah, that's it. I've heard that before. It's probably your best five a day. Then you can think 35 cycles in a week, seven days. Okay, that's cool. So how do we maximize those cycles? Then we can think, how does that look? We might, with you, it might be four cycles at night, between twelve. in my case, between 12.30 and 6.30. That's six hours four cycles maybe that's more manageable for me and what i do but balancing that with maybe a number of other recovery moments throughout the rest of the day to balance it off you could be looking at five cycles at night all the time because that's the way you live your life and then you can start to apply that to multi-scheduled workers and sports people because nothing ever works like i can get that eight hours every night and then you can use the same dial, just like the clock behind me. You can use that same dial to go, right, I need to wake up earlier. So 6.30 becomes 5. Well, that's not enough time. So 5 becomes 3.30, right? So you have these little anchor points in your day, in your 24 hours, that really sorts of stops that randomness coming in. And so you can spot things coming over the next few days where you won't be able to, you know, you're going to get in at two o'clock in the morning. So don't just rush upstairs and brush your teeth because 
you're missing out on stuff, is actually just go, well, the next one's 3.30 in my normal. So if I get back at 2, chill out, do this, do that, present yourself into the sleep state closer to that cycle, get two cycles in, give the brain a chance to do it, keep your anchor point in, but then start thinking there's other recovery periods, which is called midday and late afternoon. So when you know it's far more natural to gather recovery in what's called a polyphasic way, which is not sleep as you perceive it for eight hours, but actually it's it's recovery. It's not just focused on sleep. And suddenly you can almost subconsciously react to anything that comes your way. You're going to be staying up later tonight, so that's going to happen. Don't even worry about it because tomorrow you just do that and that. Then that happens which is extremely negative, and it's going to mean you're not going to get back until 3 o'clock in the morning. Don't worry about it. Just keep that in place and do that and that. So a big event's happening on Friday, and you're really worried about it. It could be an exam. It could be an event. It could be a final. It could be the birth of your first child, potentially. And you're really worried that if you don't get the sleep the night before, you're not going to be able to perform, and you won't be able to sleep after it either. And that's going to affect the following day. So once you get into this sort of polyphasic recovery mindset, is what happens is sometimes you might not even choose to try and sleep because there's certain factors that are so anti you and your brain trying to go into a sleep state that would be much better doing other types of things to take the pressure off because when you take the pressure off by default, you'll probably get some recovery at the back end of your normal sleep period. But also understanding that how many times have you slept badly, maybe not slept at all, and still gone into the following 24 hours and smashed it. So it's kind of not about, it's understanding that you get this cycle behavior, you get this flow, you get this recovery rhythm in place. You know about, we all know about HRV, don't we? You know, most people listening to this will know about HRV and how important it becomes in sport and performance. But you can also look at it as human recovery variabilities, vulnerabilities. So there's no such thing as perfection here. What you're really trying to do is every opportunity you can get in every cycle will help you. And lots of talk about naps and things like that, napping, snoozers for losers and all sorts of things. But when you start to understand this, this circadian rhythm to your day, this relationship with light, dark and diminished light, this relationship with this rolling process, is you do understand that maybe a little 20, 30 minute slot late afternoon in the sunset period, whether you're inside or out, is amazing little sort of supportive balance to then go into the third phase, into the evening, and take yourself towards a sleep state at some point in a far more controlled way, right? So is that a nap? Is that trying to catch up on poor a poor approach to sleep? That's what naps mean for most people. So I stopped calling them that and called them you know, whatever you want to call them, tactical recovery periods. I call them controlled recovery periods. 
And that is that is nothing more. So an example would be in the first 90 minutes of my day, I'm thinking about get outside. I'm thinking about get a lamp in my bedroom, right? Because if it's dark outside or bright outside and I'm using curtains, then I need to get that level of light up, which is much stronger, not harmful, but much stronger than everything else around me. That stimulates energy and unsuppresses me with the cortisol and the adrenaline little kick. And then appetites will kick in. Uh, little mental challenges. Uh, bowel, bladder is always easy for most. Bowels sometimes can't be. So I'm really trying to, to use that. And I'm also thinking if I can just get two little CRPs, right? it's probably easy in the first phase of the day. But what about the second cycle, you know, between, you know, my 8 and 9.30? So I'm very conscious of what a CRP feels like. And it, it's nothing more than two minutes, right? That's all it is. One minute, two minutes. And what you start to do is, is just everything you start doing from that moment of realisation that you're looking at it in a different way. It could be just... I don't fill, you know, my hydration bottle full. It's only half full. So I have to go to the kitchen or the canteen or something to half fill it again. That happens to be right next to a window. And I know by the window, while I'm just filling up my bottle again, I'm going to get a hit of many thousands of lux, which we can come on to, which is the way you measure light. And that means I'm getting this hit just while I'm standing there doing that. If I was the other side of the glass, it would be three times that level, right? Just stepping outside. So what does that do? It really helps that process. Visualization is amazing. If I just keep looking at you for an hour and this Zoom screen and this laptop, right? then all the time I'm doing that, I'm actually what's the environment I'm in right at this moment in time, I know is a melatonin world. And melatonin is trying to tell my brain to suppress things and move me. So it's shifting the clock factor, right, which I don't want. So if I sit here for an hour and I don't at least look out the window for two minutes or just look at something else like pictures on the wall or just then while my brain's just doing that for a couple of minutes, it's creating different types of emotions. It's enabling it to sort of trigger back into, into synchronize with the clock. And it allows me to keep going. If I don't do that, all I'm doing is I have a challenge that my the hormone that's being produced by the diminished light that I'm in without those little breaks is telling my brain to suppress things when actually I'm trying to get my brain to not be like that. So it becomes a challenge. And I think when you get that, moment where you suddenly realize the power to your productivity, to your health, to your mental well-being, to your everyday approach, to your short and long-term life, is when you get that into your world, these little breaks, nobody knows you're doing them. Nobody has to know you're doing them. And if you wanted to have a podcast with me, or a meeting with me, or a coaching session with me, between the hours of four and six, 
that is when I have my my midpoint cycle. It's 30 minutes for me, and I might yoga nidra, I might meditate, I might just sit and listen to some music. I will just, I'm not even trying to sleep. Um, but we all know we can fall asleep behind the wheel of a car on a motorway. Well, that's nuts, right? So it kind of tells you that more synchronized with your brain and this rhythm is that there's lots of recovery available to you. It just doesn't look in the way that you think it. And then bingo, you stop worrying about sleep. And when you get to that point, long answer to your question, but that's what thinking about cycles and rhythm to your day does. You stop worrying about sleep. And when you do that, because that is its biggest disruptor, is worrying about it whether you're going to get a night's sleep or how you're going to feel the following day when you wake up and get sleep, how that's going to impact on you. So it's just an absolute, you know, couple of, of those buzzy words, you know, mindset and game changes. It, it, uh, it can pretty shift. I think most people have, you know, got into the sort of technique and the approach, to be honest. They find it very practical, very achievable. You haven't got to join a gym. You haven't got to invest in anything. It, it's something you can just start doing. And uh, it, it doesn't mean that you can't do this and you can't do that. It's not that in the slightest. What you become is you just know little things that you can do prior to that, prior to this, as each cycle reveals itself, whether it's planned or not. And that's that's why it's proven and so successful to be honest i really like the idea of creating a structure kind of like when you're kind of like waking up on a structure kind of going to sleep in relation to getting that daylight exposure that's been the biggest changer for me over the last three four years is getting that morning walking um and not being woken by an alarm i think that's the biggest thing it's just kind of like I don't think people realize that their bodies are most stressed in the mornings anyway. So an alarm's just gonna set it off anyway. Um, so I think it, that, that's a big thing as well. Um you mentioned kind of like chronotypes. I think it is important to kind of link in with kind of like a quick synopsis of like what a chrono the different chronotypes are and see if people can kind of like people love to pigeonhole themselves, but uh the different chronotypes, what they are. Well. It's certainly learning a lot more about it, the sort of as, as what actually creates. I think in the simple terms for this, we, we I always heard about owls and larks. What are they? You know, and it's basically people who love the nighttime or people who love the mornings. And I think you basically, if you put, you know, you've got two human beings who live outside, the sun starts to come to the horizon. This light and the blue light starts to enter and enter our light receptors, and then it sets this clock off. And principally, that's all things like you know the 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 point in which we start being active for the next sort of 10, 12 hours before that the next bit kicks in of the melatonin period. So it sets this clock. Right? You can now do this for this period before that happens. It's about serotonin that's sort of produced in the same way, which unsuppresses you and happy and everything else. So you kind of, if two people are out there, basically the nighttime person is on a like a two-hour phase delay with this process. 
So the morning person and the light receptors pick this up, trigger that kick to the point of the day. So they become very active, hungry, bowel and bladder, want to get on with their day. So they're really stimulated by the start of the day. But the, the other person is about two hours behind that process. So they're not getting that trigger. So that means principally that we all live in an AMers world, most of us. So the AMers rush off into their get to work for eight o'clock, nine o'clock sort of thing type of day. The PMers are dragging themselves into it because they're just not there. But what happens to them is they get this second wind, you know, early evening, mid-evening, and it, where they really feel quite awake because what's happened is their clocks, their internal clock has been triggered at a certain point, and then their natural point comes much later. So you can override it. You can camouflage it. Uh, you can adjust it. That's what we do. But with those sort of things is if you understand, if you are in complete control right, of your life, what would be your most natural start to your day? I'm a morning type, so I can, pick, I can pick 6.30, can't I? So morning types think, you know, sunrise, not a problem. Take the dog for a walk, go for a walk. It's not a problem, is it? because we're up and about in that space. What we struggle with is, you know, early evening when we're going like, I'm going to go to bed because I don't, right? So when you sort of look at that, is how can you accommodate these things? How can you work around it? So it's the same thing we talked before. Let's just say you're a, a night timer and you would choose an anchor point with complete control of maybe 8.30, right? 8 or 9.30, right? When you ever get a day off, you probably don't put the alarm on, right? Because you like going through to 9.30 before you start your day because of your chronotype on days off or weekends if you're lucky. So what you do is your natural anchor point might be 9.30, but your start to your day could be 6.30, at my anchor point, right? Because we both got the same job, right? So what you do know is you are waking yourself two full cycles before a natural one, right? So what does that mean? What do you have to do to really bring yourself in? Light is so required there to get it in. So you can start to think that, there's your natural point. So it still works, doesn't it? 6.30, I'm a morning chronotype. 9.30, you're a nighttime chronotype. But we've still got the 16 cycles. We've still got the same timings. And this applies to lots of people, doesn't it? So you can start, ah, right. So we're both starting at the same point in the day. I'm getting a bit of a natural start. But as soon as I get going, I am getting exposed to even more lights. I am fueling up and hydrating and mental challenges. So I'm really kick-started into the day. And I know what that feels like and means. You've got to do the same thing. Right? Now, I just stay in bed until half past eight and, you know, it's only 30 minutes to the office. <laughs> and I'll grab some breakfast at 11, you know. 
and I don't feel hungry here. And I don't see so you can really start to see it. And where it also becomes more valuable is when you start having relationships with other people that really do influence you, like partners or colleagues and things like that, and mates and friends and bosses. What you can do is you can spot their chronotype very easily with a few simple over a cup of coffee questions, you know, not in an investigative way, but you can very simply go, right, okay, my new friend is a nighttime chronotype. They're going to want to go to the gym at eight to nine o'clock at night. I want to go to the gym six o'clock in the morning. So how are we going to work that together? Well, as long as we both sort of know our chronotypes, our natural sort of thing, rather than overriding those things and camouflaging, if I'm if he's going to come to the gym with me at that time in the morning, because it makes sense for a lot of things that we do, then you need to be getting your anchor point at five o'clock to give you space to get loads of light to get these things in place before you hit the gym, right? To, to, to balance that approach. And the same for me doing it in the evening. If I don't do my 30-minute late afternoon bit to take the pressure off meeting my friend at the gym and the pressure off trying to be in bed from 10 o'clock, which won't happen if I'm in the gym with him at 8 or swimming or whatever or bike riding in the summer. So you kind of like, yes. I can see around me where things are going to impact. And when you first get a partner and they become a long-time partner, a regular sleeping partner, and then maybe, you know, that journey starts to begin for you. And if you don't certainly walk into, you know, in old school times, walk into the bar (laughs) and go, do you come here often? Yeah. And by the way, do you do you like breakfast in the morning? Because you're trying to find out their chronotype because you two are going to spend a lot of time together. And if you're not synchronized or know how to synchronize yourself, right, then you're probably going to fall short in that relationship or put it under a lot of pressure as things move along. And it's the same with accepting a job. You know, you just think, yeah, it's more money. You know, it's a job I've always wanted, and it's amazing and amazing and amazing. amazing. But you don't ever reflect that from another aspect how much pressure it might put you under. So how, how you go into things and why you go into things doesn't stop you doing them, but you do sort of go that morning chronotypes do not like shift patterns, right? They don't like jet lag. They... They react to jet lag more than nighttime chronotypes. Right? They, so if you wanted to be a pilot, of course. But what I would focus on is short haul. Yeah? Because your particular chronotype, you'll be able to work with that type of being a pilot. Because if you rush off into the long haul area, it's likely to burn you out quite quickly. Right? So it's kind of to not put people off doing what they want to do, but you can't just, I'm going to be a 
you can't go from half a marathon to a marathon to an Ironman to an Ultramarathon within two months. It just doesn't work. So it's kind of like what sort of things do you need to do to protect yourself in your everyday life? And particularly, you know, when children come along, I always found that fascinating. Why is it such of a shock? Well, nobody underestimates the fact that you really don't know until the child comes along what they're going to be like. You can read as many books as you want and many podcasts as you want and ask as many people as you want. But until your child arrives, you, you don't really know what they're going to be like. They could be... Right? So suddenly you get shifted from this monophasic get all your sleep at night thing to this other human being that's completely dominated by the brain, those formative growth years, polyphasic sleeping in any 24-hour rolling process. And until they get to a certain point, um, you're going to be completely affected by that because they're likely to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and want feeding. But it's a natural wait time. So you can use the technique. You can use the fact you've got 16 cycles in your day. You can use all of your experience of how you shift it around and adjust it. You probably get more recovery than just trying to allocate eight hours because you can allocate as many hours you want. It doesn't mean to say you're going to sleep in that period or get the quality from it. So you suddenly say, well, right then. So I'm going to start doing that, building it in already. So I'm going to wake up, you know, to 11. Uh, into 12.30, into 2 a.m., that's two full 90-minute cycles. If I do things during the day that really helps the brain to optimise those first two cycles, because I know they're the most important ones, if my brain can get some deep sleep, because it's only 20% of any period anyway, so if it can go in there and hunt for that 20% deep sleep, that's great recovery for me in those two cycles, then I'll wake up and be active for a cycle, right? And then I'll present myself back for the two final cycles into 6.30. I'll balance that with a 30-minute period late afternoon. I'll also balance that with, you know, at least one or two little two-minute CRPs every other cycle. Right? Now, if I'm doing that, absolutely fine. So when my kid wakes up for a feed at 2 o'clock, it's really not a problem because I'm up anyway. You know, you've adjusted, yeah, you've adjusted your schedule. Yeah, I know. I understand what you're saying. You know what I mean? You, you yeah. start to, and then when the kid starts, you know, I think my my son James for the first three years, well, it, it felt like the first three years, just constantly screamed, was never happy, crying and screaming, and whether it was this or that, and the doctors and everybody else just could. He, if he settled for an hour. We were lucky, you know? And it was like the most demanding time. My second child, we could take them in a little Moses basket to a football game and they'd still be sleeping. <laughs> you know, it's like, why does all that happen? But if you're able to... So really, that's why it works in elite sports and it also works in everyday life, is, is suddenly... Everything just seems to be so much easier, so much simpler. And the big thing that it protects you from is with all of these things at the end of your fingertips, you know, that you can just get hold of. 
you know, news, content, this, that, influencers, you know, devices, products, this, that, and everything. In your own little world, you sit there and you're browsing away and you come and find something and it says this and this and this. You get it into your life, you start doing it, and then before you know where you are, you're in a completely different place. So it really helps you that if you're going to bring anything into your life, if you make, you know, your human recovery approach rather than sleep, if you think of it like this and you can apply it tomorrow, then sleep becomes your first health pillar rather than the one at the end. And, and when you put it there, what happens is you suddenly realize, and you will know this, won't you, from your clients. So I, I won't put words in your mouth, but you can tell me off if you want to. Is like you can have the most brilliant nutritional plan and brilliant nutritional approach. You can have the amazing training program and things like you can have psychology of uh, dealing with the mental side of it. You can have all of those things in place. But if at the end of the day, you're not recovering well enough, your mood and your motivation, excuses, which we're great at, aren't we? Fantastic. We're classic at these beautiful excuses. Like, well, the podcast went on too long with Shane, so I couldn't make the swimming session. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know that all of those things that you're doing will be diminished. They will be 5% less than what they should be, 10% less than what should, or you won't impact it as much as you should. If you bring it all the way around and go, if you get this, this recovery approach in your head, and once you start doing it and developing it, nobody needs to know you're doing it, right? Or I'm going for a nap. Forget about it. CRPs, they just become natural. Don't even think about it. You know, it's it's like I'm a I'm a I'm a like an insect to the light. I just get attracted to it. <laughs> you know, so every time you go that way, go this way, go that way, go that way. And I think you sort of get to that particular point. And that's when I think you can you can really start to make really good decisions. That's Everything that you do is going to be optimized, not diminished. And it's going to really help you with all of these other things that you're doing because it's kind of, that's the best place to start. And I'm not just shouting about sleep and recovery because that's what I do. My job is to help people be more consistent and more sustainable in their levels of recovery and achieve the highest levels when they want to. So it's only because we put it down here that we see all of these other elements becoming more consistent, becoming more productive. And that's because we put this first rather than at the end. And so you might be sitting there thinking melatonin supplements, eye masks, you know, sleeping tablets. If, if you got to that particular point, you might be thinking about this sleep tracking device. You might be thinking of all the things that you can get or somebody said, on a podcast somewhere, and you might want to bring them in. If you do this first, you're probably not going to bring any of those things into your world without a very considered and real reason why. 
I like that. No, I, I love the fact that you brought in kind of it's not more about it's not about doing more. It's about doing more recovery and bringing that more forward to the kind of like in the pillars rather than at the end. Uh, that a lot of people kind of kind of leave you mentioned there about kind of training later in the evenings and stuff like that, and that can have an impact on sleep and stuff like that. And I've done another sleep episode on that. But one mm-hmm. of the things like you work with top level athletes, like you've worked with Man United, you've worked with England, you've worked with Real Madrid, and one of the big players. And he's in the press at the minute. Uh, is Cristiano Ronaldo? How do you, when you're talking about kind of like the AM, AMers and the PMers, how do you prepare the AMers for an evening game or the PMers for an afternoon game? Because I think this player is going to be this. There's going to be people who play GAA or football or rugby or something yeah. like that, play sports, and they're trying to kind of tweak or find that finest mar- fine-tune, that finest margin. How do you work with those kind of players and how do you fine-tune those? Well, that's really why, you know, to to just repeat again, yeah. this, you know, what would be your most natural wait time if you had complete control? Um so mine's 6.30 because I'm a morning chronotype. It's very obvious I'm a morning chronotype, and you are as well, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you could, you know, whatever's creating this, a little genetic twist, you know what that is. So for me and you, 8 o'clock is like midday. <laughs> yeah, it's the PT hours, yeah. I mean, 8 o'clock's like mid-afternoon for us in the morning. Yeah. So it's like, so once you got that, you set up this dial, and I can just say, you know, 6.30, 8, 9.30, bang, 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 11, 2, 12. The timings are all there in my head. Don't even have to think about it. They're not on a device. They're not on an app. So what I do then is I, you and I do not want to be, you know, passing out at 8, 9 o'clock at night, you know, just because we're morning chronotypes and that's the So we go, okay, use the polyphasic approach. Because up until electric light came along, we would always sleep in a biphasic, triphasic, multiphasic, and almost six times a day. Recovery was not in one block. We only started sleeping in one block when we invented electric light. Right? So it's not a normal cycle process for human beings. There's about four to five sleep-wake cycles. The human beings, we can identify with them. They're there. They're fat. There's only one monophasic block, and that came with electric light. So it's not natural. So what we do there is for me and you, we go little CRPs, second cycle, third cycle. Yeah, We won't take the midday siesta cycle in a biphasic approach. We'll take the triphasic approach. So we'll miss the midday one out because we're driven to that. But we'll take the triphasic point, which is late afternoon. Now, we'll take that as a 30-minute cycle because that's 30% of 90, right? and eight-odd hours out of 24 is 30%-odd. So it all has a balance to it. We'll take 30 minutes there because whether we sleep or not, that's going to take the pressure off phase three, right, from sort of six into midnight. Now, that means you and I are not going to start deteriorating at eight, nine o'clock. That means we've got a little bit more time to do everything we need to do in a 24-7 world and deal with the seasonal changes. So suddenly you can start to think the reason I'm doing that is to take the pressure off phase three. So even you and I can start to think about, let's just try 
sort of targeting a later sleep time, but it's not a later sleep time. It's just a different one, right? Just because it's dark, <laughs> it doesn't always work depending on where you are on this planet. So let's sort of, let's target maybe 12.30 as that, you know, midnight, 12. They'll be closer to there and go for four cycles into 6.30, and that's six hours. And if we can roll through the first two cycles and get that really good deep sleep and get a really nice bath, less opportunity to go empty the bladder, less opportunity for disturbances, maybe we've got more opportunity in that phase three to, you know, get some good food and cook it from scratch, you know, to be able to spend some time learning to play the guitar or going for a bike ride with your mates or a swim or spending more time with the kids or just so you're not always, ah, it's, it's that past nine and I need to be in bed by 11. You know, so once you start to shift things around, that 30-minute cycle becomes really powerful and starts to take the emphasis off. So you can actually see that you're not trying to sleep less. You're just maximizing it all. And then you can see that that midday cycle that we don't put into your world or my world as an AMer, but then we can see we've got a late night game at eight o'clock. That means we're not going to get back with the media and everything else. We'll be on, we'll be lucky if we're home by one or even two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right? Now, so we know that's coming, right? So what we do is if say that, what is it, Tuesday? So that was uh, Friday, Friday night game. What we do is we just already be able to factor in really subconsciously that what you would start doing is bringing in another 20-minute, 30-minute cycle midday, right? You'd start to factor that in, right? as well as the one late afternoon, right? And you just factor that in because what we don't want to be doing is trying to force ourselves to go to sleep on Thursday night before the game. You know, we want a nice, relaxed approach to that. So we're not really worried about how we sleep on Thursday night because we're allocating another cycle midday as well as our one in the afternoon. When we get back at whatever time it might be, because we're not in control, then maybe it is going to be between 3.30 and 6.30 and two cycles, right? But that's all right. That's all right. So when we get back, don't rush into it. You know, chill out. Take some time, keep this rhythm going, right? And then you'll get, because we've already allocated another 30-minute slot on Saturday, right? midday with the evening one. And then on Saturday, you can be presenting yourself back on track. Don't expect too much because you've just had a little shift. Yeah, so maybe Sunday, you know, 30 minutes midday as well as the one late afternoon and then by Monday. So what you do is as long as you've kind of allocated it up here, whether you need to take it or not is about what actually happens, right? Because maybe you scored a hat-trick if it's football. You're going to be bouncing, right? And you know, social media has been going mad and also maybe you've just broke your leg 
That's a different matter. Maybe you were taken off after 10 minutes. Different set of, you know, problems to deal with. So you're going into this sort of making a lot of assumptions about what might happen, but you've already consciously put in that's what's going to happen there and there. It's going to happen there and there again, happen there then. And then we'll, as we go into it, we'll see how it pans out. Right? But I already know what I can do. So maybe I got back at 12, not 2 o'clock after the game. Yeah. Maybe I did get back at 12. That means I could catch the 2 o'clock and get three cycles in, right? So maybe I missed the one midday because it's not so required. But probably I actually might sleep in my 30-minute one late afternoon as long as I keep doing what I normally do. I'll probably catch up if my brain needs it, you know? So I think it's that whole thing about going into something, whether you're a PMer, whether you're an AMer, about, you know, games and times and this and getting back and just taking the complete worry away because if you start thinking we're going to get back at 12 and it ends up being two, you're starting to worry already that what are you going to do? How is it going to work? And the great thing about, you know, coaches, if you've got this sort of 16 cycle a day, R90 technique, what you do in every cycle, polyphasic approach to recovery, CRPs, midday, da, da, da. You can actually just look at the next seven days and you can just go, what we've done, you know, sort of Nick's come in and talked to us all about this. It's very simple and very practical. So we're all following these guidelines, right? So we've looked at the next seven days and we can go, right, if we're applying this, like on that period, no problem. Tuesday, no problem. Wednesday, need to shift a little bit or give them the opportunity to shift a little bit with a midday point. Then Thursday, definitely need the midday shift, right, to take the pressure off. That. And then, yeah, Saturday, midday shift, right? So we can actually apply a recovery approach to all the activity stuff that we're trying to achieve and do it. We can also think about the outside influences that we're not in control of. So we can just go to everybody. There you go, Shane. Here's the next seven days, and we've already identified how you would wander through that using this technique. Now, whether you do that or not is entirely up to you, right? But we know that during the next seven days, you can do that, right? You, there is enough recovery opportunity because there's at least 28 back-to-back 90-minute cycles nocturnal available, right? There's at least you know, six or seven CRP moments every, you know, from the point of the anchor point up. We can also, there's, you know, seven 30-minute cycles late afternoon for you lot and 30-minute cycles maybe midday for you lot. So you can do it. You can get your 35 cycles in this week and it'll look like that. And that's where those moments are. So I'll tell you what we've already done. Is on that day. You're coming in for training at nine o'clock. Well, we're going to finish by 11. You're able to fuel up a bit, have lunch and stuff like that. Yeah. But right now, there's a 30 minute slot, right? 
that is important to this period of time. Now, you either take 30 minutes at the club before you go home, right? go in that room or go in the recovery room or go in the gym or sit in your car, whatever you do, we've given you 30 minutes there, right? Because we've foreshortened the training a little bit, right? So we don't override. Now, you take that either before you leave here or when you get home, take it, right? Before you rush off to the golf course or whatever it might be you're going to do, is take it, right? as well as don't miss that one out later on. So we're creating the opportunity for you to do this. If you don't take it, you're going to be putting yourself under pressure. So it kind of, it suddenly starts to take this whole thing of, you know, get a good night's sleep on Thursday night because we've got a nighttime game on Friday. I like that. No, no, it's it's it's, it's really I mean? practical. Like, it's really, it's what really do you practical. Mean, get it's a good night's sleep. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by get a good night's sleep? I can't make it happen, so I'll take some tablets. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what happens. Know, you know as well as I do. That's what happens. And they get back and they've only got a couple of cycles and they can't sleep, so they'll take sleeping tablets. Then they'll get home after training the following day and pass out on the sofa for three hours. Yeah, I've seen. I've, I've, you see it in, in the documentaries on Amazon Prime and stuff like that when they're following the teams. You can hear it. I've seen it on some of them when they've had like a Champions League match or a late night match and stuff like that, and they go straight to. I think it's. I think it's one of the Spanish ones. I think it's with Atletico Bilbao. Uh, I could be very wrong. Uh, and the player goes straight over to the doctor and says, "Can I have some melatonin?" Uh, yeah. And it's only when you start to in that simplistic way, if you need this cortisol adrenaline little kick from that gland, and that kick will start when you get your eyes open and light starts kicking in. That's the little starter point. You know that there's a thing called adenosine that's building throughout this period up until melatonin kicking, fall asleep. So you know that that little cycle, right, is that little 30-minute cycle could be about making sure that you tell everybody to make sure that they're either outside, you know, or they've got a lamp to increase the level of light because they need to boost that clock position, right, in a managed way because otherwise that other internal clock's going to kick in when you're about to kick off, right, kick off a game. And most people, I think, would agree that most football games get lost in the extra time, injury time. Yeah. The last three or four minutes of a game, you know, 91st, 92nd, 93rd, 94th minute. So I just don't work with um, football. That's where it started. You know, I'm still working with individual players and organisations now, but everything from poker players, they're new Sports people, in some respects, to what they're doing, but rowers, snowboarders. I was working alongside the sort of freestyle canoeists here in Nottingham. Amazing guys. They're like, you know, there's all sorts of NFL, NBA, non gender specific women's footballs, Euros on it, you know, about to kick off. Yeah, tomorrow. So it's kind of like, don't get this sort of thing, but it, it's literally about your occupation is your occupation 
and theirs is sport. And yes, they might be a little bit different to you because they try to eat well and do lots of exercise and they've got support around them else. But that's not always the case. Um, you know, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham is, is round the corner. And I've been working with the British weightlifting squads, you know, and they're all different shapes and sizes. You think of sort of weightlifters, <laughs> I mean, sort of being able to pump the iron, but some of them are like 60 kilograms. Yeah. Because it's all about weight and body. And there's females, you know, and they don't, they're not beasts. They're just training themselves to be able to do a particular discipline. But they're not big and, you know, they're not all like that. There's different divisions. But so you wouldn't expect a sleep coach to be working with, you know, Team GB British weightlifting, would you? No, and I think it is. A, I think it is a discipline on itself. And I think a lot of people, I, I think we're talking off air. I think a lot of people overcomplicate the, the, the simplicity of it. Like it gets got, got more complicated as soon as we got more complicated with technology and stuff like that and trying to be perfect with stuff. And that was one of the big things, one of the big things, sentences that landed with me when you were talking there about the kind of the perfection thing. It, it, there is no perfect way to it. It's about adjusting things and being a little bit smarter, having some sort of routine for yourself. And I think that's what people hopefully have got from the episode. Um, and I think Nick goes into it in an awful lot more detail in the book and there's simple tact tactics and tips and stuff like that at the end of each chapter. So I would recommend going to buy the book. Where can people work out? Where can people find out the book? Where can people find out about yourself and potentially book in a consultation? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a sort of little journey for everybody. So sportsleepcoach.com. Uh, that's sport, no S, sleepcoach.com, or just put Nick Littlehouse in your browser. Unfortunately, you find me everywhere. Uh, but that's one of those things. Um, yes, we've got coaching services where you can get a one-to-one -one with me at different levels and things. You can also access an Audible course, you know, for 20 quid, and you can just listen to that over 10 sessions. You can get the book through the site to, you know, Amazon, Waterstones, wherever you can find one. Um, it's also an audible version. You have to listen to me for six hours because I narrated it. So you can listen to it. You can read it. It's probably a 90-minute read, isn't it, Shane, if you're a good yeah, it's, reader? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light I book. Like you, you could it, read it in. Yeah. Um, there's lots of podcast things. Yours will be up there as well as most. There's lots of free content. There's lots of things around where you can. So I'd always encourage everybody is whatever you're whatever you're thinking of doing is, is just take a step, right? Just, just imagine this is somewhere that you just don't know, right? There's a, it's not a secret, um, but before you start to move into any, any, any new period is do something that read that book, listen to it, listen to the audible course. Um, because what it is about, this is not a subscription to a service. I think you would agree that if you read that book or you had a little one-to-one -one session with me, fill a form out, I have a look at it, we have a chat on a 60-minute consultation. What happens is now you've got something in your back pocket. It doesn't matter what's coming your way for the rest of your life. That thing still applies because it's about you, your brain, your bodily functions, and the sun going around our planet. And if those things change, we won't be here. 
So it's kind of, it's not a subscription. It's not something you have to keep investing in. Once you've got it, obviously, I work with people where challenges come along, like Olympic Games or things and stuff like that, where we, we have to start looking at that specific. But for everybody generally, once you've read it, you've got something in your back pocket, you don't have to revisit it. It's kind of, you just keep it in your back pocket for whatever's coming. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a, it's a really handy toolkit to have. And I, and I think that the biggest thing for me when I when I first read it was kind of, I think it was definitely helping when I was traveling. When I, I think I read it before I started traveling, it was that 19-minute cycle thing of like, if I had an early morning flight, it was adjusting my sleep the day before in order to get my 90 minutes. And I was kind of like, I woke up fresh. I didn't wake up groggy um at that stage um so it, it is really, really handy so i'd recommend to go and get it and if someone even if you're an audible listener um but then i would probably recommend that there's loads of different podcasts nick has been on i've listened to a good few of them um so nick thank you so much for for coming on and, and sharing no problem. Uh, sharing everything thank you so much no problem sir hope you have enjoyed that episode with nick and the amount of detail on the sleep side of things so if you're interested in purchasing nick's book i'll put the link into the show notes if you're interested in working with me there's a link in the show notes as well on a one-to-one basis until the next uh, female followers group opens up so guys if you have enjoyed this episode please do tag us up on your stories please do tag us up on instagram and i hope you guys have enjoyed the episode and learned a lot about sleep